Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning on this 15th day of December. We are opening the Word of God to Luke chapter 15. If you are reading with us during this season of Advent, we are reading a chapter a day of the Gospel according to Luke, and we're reading it you know, on the corresponding day of December. So on this December the 15th, we are reading Luke chapter 15. I would call this the chapter, I would call this chapter lost and found. If you want to be sort of setting mental hooks in your mind in terms of like what's the movement and flow of the gospel according to Luke. This is the chapter about lost and found. It opens this way. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. This is talking about Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Which, of course, drew me back to the conversation that we had a couple of years ago with Aaron Chambers about his book, Eats with Sinners, and the conversation that we had acknowledging that every meal that Jesus ate, he ate with sinners. So just pause there for a moment and consider that reality, that truth. Um, Every meal Jesus ate from his first meal as an infant to his last supper, every meal he ate, he ate with sinners. That might give us pause on this Taste and See Tuesday as we encourage other people to taste and see that the Lord is good. We open the Word of God through the demonstration of the gospel in our in our lives. So um, following this, there are then these three parables that Jesus tells. These are three of some of the most well-known, at least two of them, most well-known parables in all of Scripture. The first is the parable of the lost sheep. What man uh, of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that he has lost until he finds it? Well, it's actually a good shepherding question. And many shepherds would say, "Um, you're not actually going to leave your 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost. Now, you might leave your 99 in a safe uh, pen or guarded by another shepherd, but you're not going to leave them on their own in the open country and go after the lost one. so it's an interesting question and conversation that he that Jesus is provoking, a little bit like the question of whether or not when you go out to scatter seeds, you just cast it about in all directions, um, or you do you plant it intentionally. Okay, so um, Jesus's parables provoke questions from beginning to end. And we all know that Jesus goes after the lost sheep, and he finds it, and he is the good shepherd. Those are all texts that come to mind and stories that come to mind as we're reading this. Then there is the parable of the woman having 10 silver coins. If she loses one, um, does she not light a lamp and sweep the entire house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, calls her neighbors and her friends saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so Jesus is clearly turning attention here to the people and the circumstances of their lives um, that the Pharisees and the scribes have turned away from. 
um, actually are placing a heavy burden of the law upon people. And then there is the parable that we would call the parable of the prodigal son, but it might be also known as the parable of the extraordinarily gracious father, the parable of the merciful father. It could also be known as the parable of the elder brother, uh, the one who ultimately misunderstands what it means to be with the father. All right, so I'm going to encourage you to read the 15th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke for yourself today. Remember this, remember this, in this chapter where Jesus tells parables about lost and found. You are so precious to God that he sent his own son from heaven to earth to search you out and invite you to come home. Jesus says of himself, he came to seek and to save the lost. And if that's you today, let yourself be found. Next up, Mark Caleb Smith. He and I are going to talk about uh, all things in the political world. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. You can follow him on Twitter. You can find him at Cedarville. All, all, um, all the good places to connect. Uh, Mark, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. How you doing? I am. I am well. You and I have a lot of ground to cover today. So, um, uh, after we had already agreed on all the things we were going to talk about, uh, the Attorney General of the United States, Bill Barr, submitted his letter of uh, resignation, indicating that he is going to vacate that post. Sometime later this week in his letter, he included a word of thanks to the president. I'm proud to have played a role in the many successes and unprecedented achievements you have delivered for the American people. Your record is uh, all the more historic because you accomplished it in the face of relentless, implacable resistance. Um, Okay, so um, I don't know. You're you're over and under on the um, resignation of the attorney general. Uh, He's an interesting figure because, you know, liberals have really smeared Barr over the last several years, you know, claiming he's the president's personal lawyer. Uh, he weaponizes the Department of Justice. You know, he's minimized the Russia investigations and impeachment. Uh, and now conservatives are smearing Barr, you know, as being disloyal to the president and as sort of uh, fighting against this narrative of election fraud. And of course, that's brought him into the bad graces of President Trump here recently. And so, which honestly says to me he probably did a reasonably good job because he made enemies on both sides of the aisle, which commonly happens with attorneys general. Um, And he had a very difficult job in his role. Um, His replacement of Jeff Sessions, who was a very controversial figure early in the Trump administration, didn't give him an easy pathway. Uh, But I think Barr's had a really interesting run with the Department of Justice. And I think it probably ends up being one of President Trump's most effective cabinet members. Yeah, I think probably as well. All right. So the other big political news yesterday, there was actually a fair uh, a fair amount of political news yesterday. But let's talk about this one. Um, electors for each state gathered in their respective capitals across the country yesterday to cast their votes um, as indicated by majority votes in their states, which had been certified by their own state's attorney generals and um, and other elector uh, election officials. And so. Um, the Electoral College affirmed Joe Biden's win. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, you know, Carmen, it's interesting to me that we never talk about the Electoral College. and Never. 
Never. This yeah, is the first time I could ever remember. And people like watched it. They like watched the whole thing. That's right. Yeah. It's usually just a formality, right? I mean, we don't even know who the electors are. We certainly don't know where they meet. We don't think of them as controversial figures. We just see them as sort of this formality. They come in near the end of the process and sort of sign, seal, and deliver the results that have already taken place. And so this is an unusual election year where the electors are an important part of the discussion. And there's been pressure brought to bear on the electors, you know, to maybe rethink their decision and maybe vote against uh, Joe Biden if you're in a swing state, for example. We did see a little bit of this. Now, to be fair, we did see a little bit of this in 2016. There were some Democrats trying to pressure uh, electors to vote against President Trump, for example. That do, that did happen a bit then. But I think this is on a very different level. And so, yeah, I think th the results are kind of what we expected. You know, they met, they voted. Uh, everything that we've heard is that the people who said they were going to vote for the particular person did so. And so Joe Biden appears to be president-elect. There's really nothing newsy there. Uh, but it appears to be official. You know, I think this is really the end of the presidential election. Although you and I both know there's a good chance President Trump and his supporters are going to challenge this uh, when it comes to January 6th. Yeah, I think notably there were no so-called faithless electors yesterday. So um, I think that's important to point out all of the 538 members of the Electoral College cast their ballots for the president and vice president that was elected by a majority of voters in their state. Um, and I think that's important to note. Um, in some states, uh, electors are legally bound to vote for the candidate who won their state. Um, but in other states, so-called faithless electors can stray and vote for somebody other than the popular vote winner. That did not happen yesterday, not in one case. And no, I just think right. that that's it's important to note. I, I agree. Um, part of it is because of the way that this really played out. I mean, you have such strong partisan pressure on both sides. You know, it's hard to think that a Biden elector is going to change that vote, given the pressure of this election. Mm. It's certainly difficult to think that a Trump elector is going to change that vote, given the pressure of this election. And so in a way, it doesn't surprise me that none of them were so-called faithless electors. Uh, this is just such a, a, a highly freighted controversial election that they all just wanted to hew the party line. And, you know, they're thinking of their futures, too. These people are usually office holders or former office holders, um, donors, uh, connected to their parties in pretty intimate ways. Uh, this was not the kind of election to go in a different direction. Hmm. Interesting. All right. I'm talking with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Uh, now that um, we have a president-elect, we are going to start talking about or actually continue talking about those whom Biden has begun appointing. We're going to talk about how the Biden cabinet and special advisors are shaping up that conversation up next. We'll be right back. Paul is trying to improve our musical taste this morning. Paul, that's very nice. Oh, yeah, Thank a little you, sir. Uh, Bing Crosby from uh, Bells of St. Mary. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Um, Mark, Caleb Smith, and I are continuing our conversation, pivoting here to begin looking at um, the members, the, the individuals that Biden is tapping to serve, not only in his cabinet, but also as special advisors to the president. Um, mindful here that some of these individuals would require um, Senate confirmation, but many of them do not. Uh, and so um, let's let's talk about um, who intrigues you on this list to this point. 
you know, I think what's most interesting to me is kind of who's not here. And let me explain. I mean, the great mystery of, of the 2020 Democratic primary was the struggle between sort of the conventional, liberal, typical Democrats represented by Joe Biden, um, and then your more progressive, you know, more socialist-leaning members of the party like Bernie Sanders and others, and Elizabeth Warren even potentially. And Biden obviously won that struggle. You know, he emerged as, as triumphant in that struggle. And the question was really who's going to be in power during this administration? How much room is Biden going to give to the progressives uh, for example, are they really going to be in control with Biden as a figurehead? You know, sort of an argument we heard over the past several months. These cabinet selections, to me, show that Joe Biden is, for the most part, sticking to his guns. He's being pretty traditional, fairly straightforward picks who are really just sort of garden variety, mainstream liberals. Uh, doesn't mean that I agree with them, but they're just sort of garden variety liberals. You know, sort of a lot of people from the Obama administration, for example. And really not that many radical or, or significant progressives, um, which says to me Joe Biden intends to govern uh, in the way that we would expect Joe Biden to govern. And I, I govern. And I think that really matters a lot, at least at least out of the gate it does. So a lot of women um, on yes. this list, that stands out to me as notable. Um, a lot of people of color. Neither of those should surprise us. I mean, that was uh, absolutely something that Biden uh, made a commitment uh, to uh, promising to be the, quote, president for all Americans, building a cabinet reflecting America's diversity. Um, we have talked here, Mark, already with uh, with others about uh, Javier or Xavier, depending on how right. people choose right. to pronounce his name, Becerra from California right. um, yep. it, for Health and Human Services. The one that I am um, certainly still watching that hasn't been filled yet um, would be the education position, because I feel like the right. you know the Department of Education and the Department of Health and Human Services those two together wield more power and influence over the lives of uh, of everyday Americans than virtually all of the rest of them combined. If we think of the Obama administration and if we think even of the Trump administration, I think you can make a good argument for what you're saying. Um, you know, one of the things that we've seen over the last couple of decades in Washington is that neither party has been able to exercise a lot of control over Congress and the presidency together. Um, and so they haven't been able to get a lot of their legislative agendas pushed through um, the political branches, which means that these administrative positions become more critical. And you start to try to get things done through executive order uh, and through lawsuits, for example. And so when we're talking about health and human services, and you're talking about education, we start getting into things like transgenderism and uh, rules that take place in public schools. And we start talking about due process when it comes to uh, accusations of sexual harassment in, in universities, for example. And these are the areas where you saw the Trump administration push back against the Obama administration. And you are right. I think you'll probably see the Biden administration push back against those Trump executive orders as well. So yeah, I, I think you make a fair point. I think those are those are important um, posts and we're going to see them get filled. Um, and we've also had some interesting selections. You know, I think Lloyd Austin as Secretary of Defense is an interesting choice. It's going to bring up this argument about whether or not we should have a waiver, uh, as we did for Secretary Mattis when it comes to recently retired members of the military. Um, yeah, lots of interesting selections here and some important ones still to go. You know, we don't have an attorney general pick. We don't have secretary of commerce. Uh, we don't have labor. And so there's a long way to go still. Yeah. Energy, 
I mean, yeah, right. it's there's a lot, lot, a lot of posts. Um, okay, so um, a lot of folks <laughs> listening right now interested in agriculture. I think that the um, the choice of Tom Vilsack for that position is probably um, a real comfort to people. Right. Who uh, who are farmers and work in agribusiness? He's a big ag business guy, um, so an interesting choice there. Uh, interesting to me that Representative Marsha Fudge from Ohio, right. she actually yep. lobbied for that post because she really wants to see the Department of Agriculture um, utilized to be sure that Americans aren't hungry. Like it's one thing for big agribusiness to do well internationally or globally; it's another thing for Americans to do well in terms of. Um, food scarcity. And so that was her interest in the position. And she also made it like just abundantly clear that um, uh, that she felt like it was time for somebody other than, you know, frankly, a white guy to have that post that, you know, that that diversity, that people of diverse backgrounds and um, people like her, like a woman of color, you know, that there were other jobs other than like HUD. Well, that's actually then what Biden announced her as a nominee for, which is HUD. Um, and yeah. so I was just like surprised by that. It seems, it seemed a little, it's great to be in the cabinet, right? I mean, t- um, a- amazing thing to be invited to, to serve in the cabinet, whatever position one has. I mean, I'm, I, so I'm sure she's thrilled, but she had made it very, very clear that she has relevant experience for the job of, uh, of secretary of Agri- agriculture, um, right. And really wanted to see things, you know, changed for rural and urban communities. Uh, interesting that she got the HUD position. Yeah, I think very interesting. Um, I agree with you. She was campaigning for the for the ag position, which is a little unusual. You know, she was a little bit more public and a little bit more forthright uh, than we've heard about these things, at least in the past. Um, and being in HUD, as you said, is an honor for her. Uh, it's also, I think, some of Biden's. You hate to put it in such crass language, but it's a reward to some extent uh, sure. to the African-American community uh, because of their strong support for him. And so, as you said, his cabinet has a lot of people of color in it, and that's a continued emphasis that he's showing, at least right here. Um, it'll be interesting to me to see what she does in HUD because she doesn't really have a lot of experience in urban affairs and planning and things like that that you'd expect to see out of a HUD secretary. And sometimes I think we do folks like her a disservice by putting them in these positions. Uh, because if you don't have a lot of expertise in your background here, you know, there's just such a huge learning curve, you know, to get started and think about how this job even looks and taming a massive bureaucracy. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hope she does well, you know, I hope for the sake of our country, she does well, but in her situation, that's, this has got to be sort of a mixed message to say the least. So uh, HUD right now um, has been doing, uh, under the leadership of Secretary Ben Carson, has been doing this thing called the Mustard Seed Series. And it's just, it, it hasn't gotten any press coverage at all. It's just not. It, it, but what they're doing is they pair interested congregations across the country who are interested in la- launching housing outreach programs in their own communities. And so that's been an effort by HUD that's gone completely undisclosed. And I think that there's some genius in that, like, Let's do this. Let's do it uh, under un, almost undercover um, so that we can actually make this happen. So I guess I'm hoping that when she takes over this position, she discovers the mustard seed project and she's like, ooh, this is cool. Let's partner urban congregations, um, you know, in, in, who are concerned about housing in their communities. And let's actually, 
you know, come alongside one another and do what's right um, for people living in in particular uh, places across America. So there's there's cool stuff going on um, that I guess I hope that once she discovers it, it's it's those would be the embers she would choose to fan the flame of. Uh, I hope you're right. But that would also uh, have some tension, of course, with the Democrats and their historic their historic position on things like church and state and the first but, amendment. Okay, so so that's and been though, I one think that's a problem, but in, from their perspective many of them would see it that way. And but haven't you been amazed? I mean, I have been completely stunned and amazed how now open there seems to be. I mean, John Meacham on yes. MSNBC openly talking about um Jesus and um and the embrace of Biden's Catholicism and how we need to move in the I'm just I, I got to tell you, I've been I've been pretty um uh, pretty amazed at the pivot on this particular point when it's the kind of religiosity that they like, yes. they seem to be completely supportive of it. Um, and so totally. I do, it's, yep. it's going to be an absolute storyline to watch. All right. We're completely out of time as always. Mark, um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking with you um, probably in the new year. I'm, I'm a yes. very poor judge about when I'm talking to people next, but I think it's in the new year. So Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you and your listeners. It's always a pleasure. You guys take care, and I'll see you in 2021. Amen. Amen. All right, that's Mark Caleb Smith. You can find him on Twitter at Mark Caleb Smith. You can also find him at Cedarville University. We'll be right back. While the merry bells keep ringing, may your every wish come true. Okay, we call this Advent, but it's the Advent of what? So we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the coming of God in human flesh at Christmas. But it's the advent of what? Well, it's the advent of the kingdom, the kingdom of God instituted among humanity. So I am going to have Dr. Walter Strickland back from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're going to talk about the advent of Christ. We're going to talk about thy kingdom come. We're going to talk about the incarnation. We're going to talk about why we still have to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If Jesus already came, then why isn't all of that work wrapped up? All of that up next. We'll be right back. Sometimes giving discipline can be just as hard, if not harder, than receiving it. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Even though we as parents know the importance and value of discipline, many of us have a hard time actually following through with it when our teen steps out of line. We're worried about the potential retaliation or are too concerned about being friends with our teens. Of course, there's times for grace, but we can't be afraid to let our children face the consequences of their actions. These are moments that will form them into mature, independent adults. Remember Proverbs 3.12. It says the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So like our heavenly father, we should discipline our own sons and daughters whom we love. Sign up for Mark Gregston's weekly newsletter article or other free resources at parentingtodaysteens.org. Dr. Walter Strickland, uh, he has been with us on prior occasions, uh, the first time to talk about his book, For God So Loved the World. He has also joined us um, since then to 
you know, talk about the mission of God in the world and the reality of the kingdom and, um, well, all kinds of things. So just love uh, love having him as a conversation partner. So, Walter, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. It is good to be with you this morning. So it, this is the season of Advent, and I thought it would be good to just have a theological conversation about the Advent of what? Mm. Yeah, definitely. The, the uh, coming of Christ is what the Christmas season Christmas season is all about. And and so when we we talk about Jesus coming, we we understand that there are, you know there is the incarnation. Um, I want to till that soil with you in just a moment. Um, but Jesus came for a purpose, and it's not just you know so that Carmen could be restored in a right relationship with the Father. There's something else going on here. Um, there is the coming of something other. Uh, there's the, the the coming of something in Christ that's other than just the individual salvation of people. What what is it that is instituted in the coming of Christ that we um, want to point to today? Yeah, you know uh, the the kingdom of God is so important in in Christ's coming. Uh, it's so the the word Advent is you know stands for the coming. It's uh, saying hey Jesus is coming, but with him is the coming of this kingdom reality that is so important for us. Because there there is sin everywhere. Now, I know that we can look at it and see it in the activities of people, but we can also see it in just even the way that the earth is broken. You know, the, the creation groans for redemption. Our bodies are broken. You know, we are seeing how our bodies are unable to even fight this virus that is sort of ravaging the globe right now. And, you know, and our bodies fall apart. But, but the reality is, is that this kingdom that's to come— is one where our bodies will never fall apart, where the earth is no longer groaning. There's no more tears, no more pain. And so Jesus coming actually begins the process of the full onset of that kingdom that's to come. And it's the onset. Like, I think I want to settle in there for just a moment. Um, Because, you know, immediately when we say, okay, so, you know, Jesus arrived on the scene, and so everything should be better. Like, why 2,000 years after the, after the coming of Christ, after the advent of Christ, who initiates the kingdom, why are we still in need of praying every single day, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Like, and I mean, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, but whew, it doesn't feel finished. Like, right? All <laughs> creation still groans with eager longing for man's redemption. So what's going on? Yeah, so Jesus came, and, and he came to basically um, inaugurate the kingdom. And so when Jesus came to the world, I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so awesome to, to hear him say, um, you know, the kingdom is upon you, is when he was talking mm-hmm. to people. He would say, uh, the kingdom is in front of you, in like Luke 17, 21. And, and what, what, we were say- what we were seeing is that he was saying, like, there has been this inbreaking of this kingdom reality, this reality of just perfection and redemption and all these things, and it's in your face. And he was talking about himself. And so what what we're seeing in the biblical story, if we back up for a moment, is that there was this creation, there was the fall, and now Jesus is beginning the process of, you know, starting the redemptive process, you know, in earnest in himself. And so what's going to happen is that there's this work that's being done in the church, the, the people of God, those who are redeemed in Christ, those who place their faith and trust in him and are hope in him, they're like God is using them to be a part of this process of then the kingdom being consummated when he returns. And so the Bible 
talks about the first advent, which is the first coming of Jesus, which is the baby in a manger, and then who's, uh, you know, um, die on the cross, rise from the dead, and then he ascends, but then he comes back. And then when he comes back, he comes to rule and to reign. And so now we live in what people often call the between times, between the first coming and the second coming. And there's rays of hope everywhere. The fact that there is a risen Savior and Lord, the fact that, you know, we are now experiencing the indwelling of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of those, like God is with us. Uh, in those, in, you know, in our in our hearts, in our lives, empowering us to do good work, uh, which is kingdom work, which is really gesturing towards the reality that's to come. And so, yes, it's an individual salvation that we celebrate, but also those who are redeemed do you know redemptive work as a sign of the ultimate healing of all this brokenness that's to come. And I think that is one of the messages of, of Christmas that's so hopeful for me. It's hugely hopeful, and I think that often um, these conversations get lost in all of the uh, sort of commercialization um, and even the wonderful traditions that we have um, uh, that we have created and continue to foster around this season. And so, I really I appreciate your willingness to have a very basic um, theological conversation about what is going on at Christmas because. If I don't understand what's happening at Christmas, I'm absolutely going to misunderstand what's happening at Easter, and I'm going to misunderstand what's happening in my own life of suffering and challenge. I'm going to misunderstand my role in the world. I'm going to misunderstand my own salvation. Like, if if I don't understand who actually comes at Christmas and what he brings with when he arrives, like, what happens in the universe when... Uh, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of the Father, takes on human flesh uh, to dwell among us full of grace and truth. If I don't get just how mind-bending it is, um, that in that manger is the eternal God. Uh, If I don't Mm -hmm. get that, and if I don't get that that's the inbreaking of the King and the Kingdom, I mean, there's a reason, there is a reason that the Roman Empire sent out, um, you know, soldiers to kill every boy in Bethlehem two years of age and under because they did not want this king. Like, this is a big—this is—I think think if we miss that, we miss just how critical Christmas is in the redemptive narrative. Yeah, and you know, it's it's awesome now that I have kids that I I get to Mm -hmm. retell this stuff, and and I'm— I'm telling all these aspects of the Christmas story that I just missed the significance of. And so as we're talking about the fact that this is the king, this is, this is God in a form of a baby. And, 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 what, and what this does, it says this is, the, this, is, this is God's way of doing his work. He is, he is the Lord of all, yet he humbled himself to taking on human form and not just a, a Goliath-type figure, but a baby. That sort of humility ought to— to mark us, even though we are those who are victorious, you know, there, you know, in in our lives now, as you as you said a moment ago, we we experience suffering, we experience heartache, and we we experience all these these trials, and but we're like, hasn't Jesus come? Didn't he rise from the dead? <clears throat> Didn't he come to fix these things? But you know, it's 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 interesting because you mentioned Easter, 
because Jesus dies, and you know it's and it's almost like in our current moment in this in between the the first and second coming, it's like we're living on Saturday, you mm. know, where we we Jesus has died, and we're and we're having all this this these difficulties, these challenges, but you know what? Sunday is coming, and that's there's hope in that. It gives us something to look forward to, and so with the advent of Jesus. The coming of Jesus, the Lord of all creation, as a baby, we see, you know, this this humble scene in, in him, him born in a manger, not in a palace, but in a manger. And then, but we look forward now because he has risen from the dead to, to the moment where he'll be victorious. And we know it's coming because he rose from the dead. That was the evidence that he's going to finish his work of redeeming all brokenness in this world. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm making note of the fact that we live on Saturday. Like we live on the Saturday between Good yes. Friday and, and Easter Sunday um, in this period of already and not yet in terms of the kingdom of Christ um, mm-hmm. initiated or inaugurated in his coming. Yes. Um, and yet we're, we're still waiting the second advent. We're waiting. We're living on Saturday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest in that for just a moment. Um, Dr. Yeah, Walter and, Strickland and, and, and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I'm going to ask him um, what more he has learned about Christmas uh, now that he has kids, because I think that's an, there's probably an interesting conversation there. So we'll be right back. talking with Dr. Walter Strickland. We're talking, um, we're talking a little theology this morning uh, about Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And um, I think that in a time when people are very much obsessed with um, the political dealings of this world, some kingdom politics are absolutely essential for Christians to have in mind. Um, Jesus is on the throne. He's not going to be voted off the throne. Uh, every generation of Christians around the world um, has lived under uh, under human governments that are imperfect. Um, and whether or not you recognize him as such, Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has come, and yes, he is coming again. So we're having a kingdom conversation about the king this morning. His name is Jesus. Um, you can trust that he is on the throne, seated at the right hand of the Father, and that, yes, he is coming again. Now, Walter, when he comes again, he's coming, he's not going to be coming as a baby. Uh, scripture does mm-hmm. not suggest that that's happening that way again. He is, um, he is coming again, how and to do what? Yeah, he, he's coming to rule and to reign. And there's this mm. wonderful picture in the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, where it's like the, the final act of his coming, and he's coming on on a, on a horse <laughs> and and it's this sort of majestic sort of introduction into this new place where there's just going to be this this peace that was instituted and established in Eden that we've since lost because of our, our because of our human rebellion against God's plan. And so that that's a that's that's a picture that I that I look forward to seeing because something about Jesus that I think is just fantastic is that you know we we often talk about, you know, we need to be Christ-like. Well, and in, in that Christ-likeness, he balances all these dichotomies that we struggle to balance as people. Like when, when he comes, he will come to rule. But often when we think about ruling, we think about abuse on this side of the kingdom. 
But mm. when we think about somebody reigning in power, we think about the abuse of power. We think about, you know, so 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 there will be this figure who is powerful, all powerful, and he's but he's all good. He is uh, righteous and he is just. He's loving and he's a uh, god of wrath. But it's it's all woven into like this loving God who is going to just balance all those things. And so when he comes, it's going to be this thing that I am just so uh, longing for to see that kind of a king, to see that kind of a ruler, because we've been longing for it all of our lives, Mm -hmm. because the longing for that kind of king is a longing for Jesus. Absolutely. Amen. Um, um, I, for one, and every little girl out there is totally excited that there's evidence of horses in heaven based on the fact that Jesus is going to ride one when he comes back. So I just feel like that's important to note here. Um, um, When we talk about kids and Christmas, I am betting that you have learned some things um, since having kids. And you you alluded to that earlier in the conversation. just take us into Christmas at your home a little bit with your little people. You know, and it's so awesome because they ask the craziest questions that make <laughs> me think about the Christmas story in new ways. But I just love it. And, you know, and it's it's wonderful because I think what I've learned is just how much the Bible is so seamless. And so in the in the um, you know, if we're reading about, you know, we're, we're reading through our little summary of the Bible and then, you know, we're, we're reading about, you know, the Passover, about how the, the angel passed over the homes of the Israelites who, who put the blood of the lamb over the door. And then, you know, you know when we're talking about Jesus, we're, we're able to say, hey, he's fulfilling all of these awesome sort of pictures that uh, Israel had of a coming king. And so they call this, this, this baby the lamb of God. They call Jesus the Lamb of God. Why? Because he will save the people from, you know, from death. And then, we, you know, we, we, we uh, then completely changing gears. It's awesome seeing these pictures in our in our Bible story summaries that I read my kids. You know, they're they're, they're really young. They're three or two, uh, almost three and five and seven. And they show Mary very pregnant and Joseph in a donkey going into Bethlehem. And I'm like, actually, they would have been traveling with the whole family, mm-hmm. which is why there's no room for them in the inn. Because it wasn't just two people. It was a whole bunch of them. Because if you just imagine that, you know, they, they would have, you know, a pregnant lady, all their stuff, Joseph, they would probably get robbed on the road. I know that sounds very, you know, barbaric, but that's just reality. But it's, it's neat to see how family oriented this sort of, uh, Jesus coming into the world was. And as they traveled, they were always, you know, with a whole bunch of people, which is how Jesus got lost. And his parents didn't know where he was when he was uh, still in the in the synagogue teaching the, the, the leaders, because there's a whole bunch of them traveling back and forth. And so just being able to tell them like th- those elements of the, of the Jesus story, being able to say, you know what, this, this king of the world, when he was born in Bethlehem, he was born into a very humble situation. He wasn't amongst the rich. He wasn't amongst the those who were affluent or powerful. He came and he was with common people. And this, this you know, and I tell my kids, oftentimes we want to give more deference. I don't say deference to them. I just we, we, we sort of give more ear or we listen to those who are more affluent and more powerful more. But the reality is that Jesus comes and he dignifies those who are poor because he's, he's among them. And and you know and, and then he he dignifies those who are the least of these when he when the shepherds were the ones that the angels came to 
to, to have them come and celebrate the Messiah in initially. And there's all these little elements of the story that I just completely just, you know, did away with in my own mind when, when, when the, when the, uh, when they came bearing gifts and they went to the, to the, to the, um, to the palace, you know, in Jerusalem. And they said, well, he's not here. He's somewhere else because that's where they think would think a king would go. But Jesus is such a different kind of king. A oh, king no, that rules it. and reigns in a completely different way. And I'm just like, so, you know, kids, you, you like, got to write up the questions, right? Like you got to write up the questions as they like, you should just keep, you should just chronicle the questions over time because they're three, <laughs> yeah. five and seven. So the questions are only going to get more interesting. Exactly. Exactly. Right? So it's, it's just so much fun. It's just it so, so much fun. It is so much fun. So we are, um, you know, going to have a different kind of Christmas this year than, than maybe we had planned. And, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think that when we long to be with our wider family, um, that longing is uh, is good. Like it's good for us to to have to long in these ways and not just be satisfied with the ability to do exactly what we want to do um, on Christmas or surrounding these events and to settle into, you know, gosh, there are some times when um, things are not working out exactly like we had planned. Well, that was certainly the experience of Mary and Joseph. Um, that was certainly the experience of the people of the day. Uh, the Jews under Roman occupation. So as your kids get older, one of the questions, and now you can like look 10 years out because the next time we have a census, your kids will ask questions about this that they will not ask now. Um, but I yeah. have kids of that age, like, right, so we the census was taken. So we actually, you know, like laid it out on the table and talked through it and like, so talked about accounting for people. And that lifted up the Luke 2-2 conversation about, um, you know, the first time that, Everybody in the world was supposed to be registered. Now, you and I know that world there is defined in a fairly narrow way. But the conversation then became like there's God accounts for everybody. Like nobody goes unaccounted for in the census of God. And and when Jesus came, it was to account for everybody. Like that's so cool. And kids get to that in their like, you know, mental development. And you're like, oh, praise God. Like they're getting it. They're getting it. They're totally getting it. I just love it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that I know, I know. We're we're out of time. But can you and I talk again in the new year and just keep unfolding the the basic theological conversations that, you know, they're only they're only basic because you're willing to take us to the most basic uh, point and then walk us forward. It's really helpful. I don't know if you recognize what a gift it is for you to come and just walk us through some of the most basic theological things, because they're they're not uh, these aren't conversations that everybody gets to have. And it's such a privilege. Well, I, I'm glad to do it, and it's been a blessing. Thank you. So, in the new year, we're gonna um, we're gonna talk again about all things theology with Dr. Walter Strickland. Thank you so much um, for being with us in this hour. All right, we got another hour of mornings with Carmen up next. I'm telling you, exciting times. Sidewalk Prophets uh, up next with Bethany Christian Services. They're doing a cool thing uh, here at Christmas time—a virtual Christmas tour to benefit kids around the world. Also going to talk with author Karen Eman about how to use your home for the glory of God. The book is Reach Out, Gather In. And yes, of course, we have copies to give away. So um, fun hour this hour. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Maybe spend the break inviting someone else to listen in. Invite a friend. It's that time of the year. All right. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We'll be right back.
All right, for those of you asking uh, a wealth of questions now about Sweden, uh, here are a few um, things to know. Uh, In Sweden today, Swedes are less dependent on the state than they used to be, uh, more likely to be foreign-born. Actually, uh, one in every three Swedes has a parent who is foreign-born, and they're less likely to have their car stolen than in the past. So apparently they have cars. There you go. See see how little we know about what's going on in other countries. Um, these are Christians with whom we're going to spend eternity. That's our brother in Christ, Joel. And uh, we're going we're gonna to spend eternity with him. So it's always good to get to know the people with whom we're going to spend eternity. Spend a lot of time getting to know people with whom we are not going to spend eternity. Uh, I thought it would be fun to spend a little time with somebody with whom we are going to spend eternity. Think about that today. Think about that today as you make your way through the day, which now uh, lies immediately ahead of all of us. Is this a person with whom I'm going to spend eternity? And if not, what as an evangelical Christian am I called to do in this conversation with this individual that they might gain the hope of eternity, that they might gain a knowledge of the grace of God available to them in Jesus Christ? How might I offer the good and gracious gift of Christ to this person right here, right now, who stands in front of me? In this temporal reality, um, what conversation might I have? What might I say? What might I do? How might I pray for them that might lead them to acknowledge and even receive the good gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ? That is actually what it means to be evangelical. That's it right there, to have a heart for the lost and to express the gospel to them always and in all ways. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.